Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio. Today, I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about influencing yield right now in corn. Now, many of the things we'll talk about will, will apply to other crops as well. So if you don't grow corn, there's still going to be some stuff for you today. And as always, we would be happy to take your phone call and talk about anything that is going on in your farm or answer any of your questions. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can email us, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. All right, so we've gotten a lot of questions in in the Ag PhD mailbag, and before we get to talking about influencing yield right now in corn, we want to cover some of those questions, so let's go to the mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, Brian, uh, we got a, got a question, and this one comes from Montana. Uh, I've got no nodules on soybeans, none at all. Beans now have got a couple of trifoliates on them. What do you think could be a possible cause of this? Now, first of all, when when a question comes from Montana about soybeans, that draws a lot of red flags. That yep. ooh, there's quite a few things that could go wrong. But here's treated seed with a, a complete seed treatment that's got fungicide, insecticide, and inoculant on it. In this case, so uh, a, a pretty pretty decent seed treatment. It's just well, maybe it got maybe. done in advance, right? And the beans, uh, you know, were treated for a while. So okay, let's talk let's about that say, right there. Let's, let's say stop. you've got inoculant yep. on beans for a few days. Yep, yep. stop right there. Let's yep. inoculant and survivability. I don't care, even if you have an extender with it, you're going to lose a lot of the live bacteria within 24 hours. So without extender, half of them for sure are dead. Well, I shouldn't say for sure. Most likely at least half are dead. Even with extender, I would expect a good percentage is dead. So within a few days, you know, there's a decent chance that 90% of those live bacteria are dead. I'm not saying don't inoculate and then plant a week later or a month later or anything like that. You can do that, but what we're talking about here are conditions where most likely, let's just face it, chances are beans have never been planted there before. Well, if beans have never been planted there before, I don't want 10% or 30% or 50% of the bacteria left. I would like to treat and plant within an hour so I have the best chance for survivability. I mean, heck, think about it this way. Even if 80% were still alive, are you happy with 20% mortality? I'm not when I have those kind of conditions. I want to double inoculate or triple inoculate. Plus, I'll take you back 40-plus years ago when our dad was first farming in the state of South Dakota. He moved here from Iowa in 1969. And he just said for the first few years, you know, he was on a lot of ground that had never had soybeans before. A lot had never had soybeans before. Just to give you an idea, even 30 years ago, 35 years ago. So 1984, I know this number off the top of my head, there were only 400,000 acres of soybeans in South Dakota. That's it. And 1984, to me, doesn't seem that long ago. I was in high school then. 400,000 acres. Today, we're talking over 5 million acres. So it's a dramatic difference. But anyway, here's the whole point. What he used to do back then is he just said, man, I had great success putting 100 pounds of nitrogen out there. So our suggestion, when you have new ground that's never had soybeans on it before, 50 to 100 pounds of nitrogen, double inoculate, inoculate, then plant as quickly as you can. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm not surprised that in Montana you have some, some beans that 
aren't nodulating, but then let's also take one more step and talk about the soil conditions. We want to have good drainage. We want to have some water there. Don't need crazy amounts, but we need some water there. So I don't know which end of that spectrum you're on, but if as long as you're somewhere in the middle, we're fine. But if it's too wet or way too dry, that's a problem for the nodules. The other issue that we have commonly in Montana is the pH is out of the optimum range. And the optimum range for soybean nodulation would be in the sixes. Once you start getting seven and a half, eight, which is common in Montana, then we have problems with nodulation. So that's another thing that will quickly kill the bacteria off. Darren, anything else with that? Well, I just look at yellow cotyledons and kind of pale-looking soybeans. And to me, that says the odds that we're short in nitrogen already are probably pretty good. You, know, you think about how much nitrogen a soybean crop needs over five pounds per bushel yield goal. We, we need it. So I agree. I support putting out some N at this time. I don't know what else is short in that field. I guess I haven't seen soil tests tissue tests, anything like that. The beans are big enough. You could pull a plant tissue test on them. You'd need 20 or 25 plants, everything above ground, just wash it off and send it into the lab and find out for sure. Yeah, but don't forget, soybeans need a ridiculous amount of nitrogen. It is crazy how much you're going to need. And normally, with nodulation, the beans can produce a lot of the nitrogen that they need. But if they don't have good nodulation, then you've got to get more nitrogen out there somehow, some way. Whether that's manure, uh, putting nitrogen out early, putting nitrogen out late, I don't care, but you know you're going to need some. And when you need it the most is as soon as those beans start to flower. That's when the uptake goes up quite a bit on nitrogen. So here's what I'm saying. It's not a panic situation. When you dig the beans up, they're six inches tall. They get a couple of trifoliate leaves and you go, oh no, I don't have any nodules. But it is a situation where you say, you know what? I don't have any nodules. I better start applying some nitrogen. Now, if your yield goal is low, obviously you don't need that much nitrogen, but just take a look at the Ag PhD fertilizer removal chart. We've got an app, a free app, download for your phone, and you can plug in soybeans, and let's just say even if your yield goal is 40 bushels, it's still going to take a lot of nitrogen, so you're going to need some out there. Now, the only good news I got for you here with all this is nitrogen prices are relatively low. I was just reading something this morning. Hopefully, as farmers and looking at it from that perspective, we are dealing with very low fertilizer prices this fall and into next year. That's right now what the forecast looks like. So I'm optimistic that we'll be able to fertilize our crops relatively inexpensively here for the next few months and hopefully even the next few years. Listening to Ag PhD Radio today and we're taking your calls and questions throughout the show at 844 844- 44 ag phd you can also send us an email radio at agphd.com or find us on twitter ag phd media brian hefty or darren hefty we'll be right back sound the foghorn because there's a better way to control frog eye leaf spot in your soybean fields foghorn fungicide from upl Froghorn not only has a unique name, it has two modes of action that deliver excellent disease control. With Froghorn, you get healthier soybeans and better yields at harvest time, and you won't be subject to strobe resistance. So, get Froghorn and keep frog eye leaf spot quiet all season long. To learn more, talk to your retailer or UPL sales representative. Always read and follow label directions. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? 
Unleash the power of new Impact Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy 2 Save 3 is a service mark and Impact Z is a trademark owned by AMVAC Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farm your way. Oh my goodness, did you see Bob's gorgeous soybean rows? Um, totally. I couldn't believe how clean, weed-free his entire field looked. I'm like, so jealous. I heard he started using this new post-applied residual herbicide called Perpetuo, and it's burned down and long-lasting residual powers making his soybeans like literally the talk of the town. Ah, so Perpetuo's his secret. Yep. Talk to your retailer or visit valent.com slash Perpetuo to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about influencing yield right now in corn. Man, that corn is growing fast out there across the Midwest and in other parts of the country as well. Heck, uh, there's there's a lot of guys getting close to harvest in parts of the country. That's really exciting as well. But, you know, when you think about corn that's at knee high to to shoulder high, there's a lot of stuff happening out in those cornfields, and there's things that you can do to influence yield. We're talking about those things today. If you would like to join that discussion, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got Randy Cool with Syngenta with us right now. Randy, how big's the corn in Iowa where you're at? Well, it's growing quite rapidly. I'd say we're in that B8, B10 stage in most cases. Wow. Yeah, that's kind of exciting. You know, you think about the early fungicide applications in corn, and I know with rainfall, with some of those super windy days that went through the Midwest, there's a lot of guys that intended to put fungicide out at that time, didn't get it done, that are talking about, hey, you know what? The ear leaf might be out now. It might be one of these newest leaves coming out, and I wouldn't mind protecting that. Talk to us just a little bit about using a fungicide. Once we get past that V8 stage up to tassel time, what's going on there? Why can't we use surfactant, and, and is it still a good idea to use a fungicide? We still have a lot of opportunities uh, to use a fungicide. We usually start around that B12 stage uh, to tassel if we're going to go before tassel. Uh, so, again, you know, if we're getting diseases to come in early, I know uh, down in the south they're already reporting uh, southern rust as earlier as uh, nor- earlier than normal coming in, and then uh, tar spot and some other things, gray leaf spot's another one. I know Iowa State's done a lot of studies with that uh, B12 application, and we've seen some good results from that. Uh, one thing, you know, um, there are adjuvants uh, available. Uh, you just have to look at uh, what the manufacturer's recommendation would be. Uh, there's a kind of designation they call NPE. Uh, you want NPE-free, so you need to know which adjuvant you're using, otherwise just use water. 
Okay, uh, talk to us a little bit about herbicides. Now, if you've got some late escapes or if your pre completely wore off and you didn't quite make it to canopy, how late do we dare push it with some of the products out there on the market? The majority of the products, uh, they end about B8. So um, I would uh, be extremely careful on uh, pushing anything past label. Uh, you know, some of them are up to 30 inches, et cetera, depending what you're using, uh, Callisto, some of those, for example. But uh, you have to be pretty careful once you get to past the V8 stage. You know, you mentioned um, mentioned V8 kind of running out. I, I think about this, too. At this point, are we really losing a lot of yield with late escape weeds? I think uh, we're still having a big impact with those. Um, you know, early on, uh, you, you see the most yield loss or response uh, from the corn. I know there's been a lot of studies uh, with switch point, things like that, how the leaf orientation, stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, we're still getting some uh, yield loss with that. And then the other part, you know, we're going to have a lot of weed seed out there for a weed bank later on for that next soybean crop or back into that corn crop we're going to again. All right, Randy, one other question for you uh, regarding Flexstar, just to shift gears here, because we're, we're right at that point, too, where growers are saying, oh, man, I'm running out of time here with Flexstar with a 10-month rotation back to soybeans. How big a deal is that? Are you seeing any issues where guys had to spray really, really late last summer? Uh, I know there is some stuff that got sprayed crazy late. Well, honestly, the beans didn't get put in until July, so what are you going to do? But what well, what do you think there, and why why are we limited where we can only spray that uh, one year in a row and we got to take a year off? Well, the big thing we're concerned about is carryover, so that's the reason we had the 10-month rotation. Uh, last year, like you said, we got caught in some situations. Uh, there is a little bit of limited carryover uh, this year that I'm getting a few calls on, but it's very few, a pretty minimal impact where they've overlapped areas, in rows, things like that. But uh, the big part of it is rainfall after application. And last fall, we were kind of dry after we got real wet. Uh, so we had, you know, some issues with that. But again, you just need to follow the label and uh, you're designed for that, for that rotation that's uh, on the label. Yeah, we get hard times sometimes because we'll be like, eh, I don't know, you only got 10 months, and people will be, oh, come on. No, it's a great weed killer. It is a great weed killer. We just want to follow the label because the label's there for a reason. Uh, talking with Randy Cool with Syngenta down in Iowa. Randy, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Good luck here the rest of the season. Thank you. Let's head over to Indiana. We've got Kyle with us right now with the question. Kyle, how are you doing? Good. Uh, had a question uh, about corn and manganese. I'm uh, very new at growing corn, and uh, I've only grown about 10 acres of it in the past couple years, but I've got 15 acres of muck, and in the past that I've put beans in there, I can't hardly put enough manganese on it to keep the beans looking good. It always yellows, yellows up. I'll go in and put manganese on and buys me a couple weeks, but this is the first time I've put corn in this field. And it's not really showing the yellowness that the beans would at this stage, but there's a few spots. I was just wondering when about should I put that manganese application on? Usually the sooner the better in terms of manganese. A lot of times we talk about manganese even dealing with emergence in that plant. Um, But, you know, it's like every other nutrient to some degree. We've got to have an ample amount all the way through. And so as soon as you mention in in in-season application a lot of times guys are running foliar stuff and you just can't pump that much into the plant with a foliar application so foliar applications 
are better for some of these guys with specialty crops that have lots of dollars at stake or guys that have irrigation. So it's simple and easy to continue to pump nutrients out there. Because literally, it's just like you said, I mean, okay, it lasts a couple weeks, week or two, that's about it. It's about all you can expect out of a foliar fertilizer. Now, that may be all you need, because then all of a sudden, your plant roots get big enough that they get down into more of the soil, and they find some more manganese or whatever nutrients you're after that way. So sometimes it can work out fine for a lot of us who are raising row crops. But if it's if you're chronically short on a nutrient like manganese, then usually what we talk to guys about is just building the soil up if you can. Now, when it's muck soil, I assume that means you're talking very high cation exchange capacity, very heavy soil, and sometimes it just gets to be, especially if it was rented ground, it's just cost prohibitive because it would take so much uh, to get your levels up where they kind of need to be because your soil will hold so much. So anyway, what or to, you know, the very long answer to your short question here was, if it's me, I'm getting it out there as soon as I can. So is there something I could put on with the fertilizer in the spring or fall? Sure. Um, um, the ground is, I guess there there may be, and I'm, I may be, wrong when I say this, but there's different types of muck. This this muck is very dry all the time. It holds moisture well, um, but it seems to go through the nutrients real quick. Sure. Uh, yes, you could put out, let's say, manganese sulfate, just as an example. But there are lots of products out there that would contain manganese. There are many different blends that certain fertilizer dealers might have as well, just standard blends. Um, or uh, let's see, how can I say it? Chemically combined fertilizers. So we've had that too, where let's say I get five different micronutrients all in the same pellet. Uh, there, there are a lot of ways to go here, but uh, yes, you have options. I would talk to your fertilizer dealer or dealers in your area to see what they have for you, but you could absolutely get some manganese out there. The problem I have with manganese, well, two things. One, pH limits it a little bit. So the higher the pH, the more manganese tie-up we typically get. And two, manganese is fairly expensive as a nutrient. So zinc, on the other hand, super cheap. I mean, if I'm short on zinc, even if I'm five or ten parts per million short on zinc, I don't care. I'll go fix it in one shot, one application, one time, and I'm done just about for life. So it's so easy with some of these other nutrients that are cheap. But manganese is kind of expensive. So if it was me and I had a lot of acres, I would just do a little bit and try that out, see if that works, because it's going to cost you some money. Okay, last last little question on this. Yep. This field is crazy high in organic matter. I'm talking 38% high in, in, in a lot of spots. Okay. Is that... Is that affecting that yes. manganese level? Probably. That, that's probably leading to some of your tie-ups. So that's usually what we assume when we're talking muck soil, high in cation exchange capacity, really high in organic matter. And a lot of times when we're that high in organic matter and that high in cation exchange capacity, we talk about banding nutrients. So that's one of the things we do now quite a bit on our farm is band some manganese with the planters. So banding's a pretty good way to go in those heavy soils. Well, stay tuned. we got more Ag PhD Radio right after this. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. 
Choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough to control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Sound the foghorn. Because there's a better way to control frog eye leaf spot in your soybean fields. Froghorn fungicide from UPL. Froghorn not only has a unique name, it has two modes of action that deliver excellent disease control. With Froghorn, you get healthier soybeans and better yields at harvest time, and you won't be subject to strobe resistance. So, get Froghorn and keep frog eye leaf spot quiet all season long. To learn more, talk to your retailer or UPL sales representative. Always read and follow label directions. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky Herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy to handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's a secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. When it comes to commanding herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Panther SC, an animal when it comes to speed of control and long residual on a broad spectrum of tough broadleaf weeds like mare's tail, palmer amaranth, and water hemp. And did we mention convenience? Panther SC works in pre-plant, pre-emerge, and post-harvest systems and keeps your rotation options open. New Farm and Panther SC, here to help. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. Today, our phone lines are open throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. A lot of stuff going on in fields right now. If you've got a question for your farm or you're just kind of curious about something, please give us a call. We would love to help you out if we can. Uh, but we're talking today mainly about influencing yield in corn and things we can do right now. Uh, I've got one of our neighbors on. We've got Doug from South Dakota. How you doing, Doug? Well, I'm doing quite well, Darren. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. All right. So in the corn crop, I know we just got done putting a bunch of nitrogen on ahead of this rain. Uh, you got anything big going on in your corn crop or you got everything taken care of for now? Well, I certainly do not have it all taken care of, Darren. I'm not as far ahead of it, ahead of it as you are. Uh, I am preparing to side dress some nitrogen. So hopefully we get another rain. You know, one of the things that we talk a lot about is is putting other nutrients out with 
with that nitrogen. And I know sulfur's been a big one that we've been discussing quite a bit. Boron's been another one. We think about those leachable nutrients, Brian. That's that's something I know the sulfur even kind of helps that nitrogen just a little bit. Yeah, I mean, if you're in good shape on a lot of different nutrients, especially sulfur, then your plant is going to utilize nitrogen more effectively. So I, I think for a lot of us, we start talking nitrogen, and, and that's great. I mean, don't get me wrong. We need nitrogen on our farm. Everybody needs it. It's just a question of how much, and we're trying to be as efficient as possible with the nitrogen we use. All right, Doug, you putting anything else with the nitrogen as far as nutrients? I, I mean, I'm certain you've got other things going on, but are you putting sulfur or boron in there or something else? Yeah, we like to add sulfur. Uh Ammonium thiosulfate is one of our favorites, and of course, that's a good chance to apply some more boron because we're that's a legible element, and so we continually need to feed that. Yeah, we've gotten some rain now through the area, and that's you're right. I'm curious how much stuff has moved. We did a bunch of pre dress nitrate tests, and yeah, we had some fields that we were in trouble on already. Now, that's probably due to us not putting enough on to begin with rather than a big leaching issue, but there certainly could be a little bit of leaching too. Uh, you know, when you, you think about corn right now, the fungicide apps, another one we were chatting a little bit ago here with Randy Cool with Syngenta, and he said, you know, Iowa State's got a lot of data saying right around V12 is a pretty good time between, you know, now and tassel. How, how far along is your corn? Do you get stuff that that's that big yet? No, we do not. Uh, I was just out this morning in the field pulling some tissue tests, and we're at about V7. Sure. So we've got a ways to go. We're just getting into that fast growth period, I believe. All right, Brian is always big on, uh, just to switch gears here, Brian's always big on, we don't see flowers until after the day length starts shortening. So here we are. We're on the backside now. We had our longest day. Now we're stepping back, I don't know, minutes, I suppose, today. Uh, Do you have any flowers yet on those beans? Yesterday I did find first flower. Yeah. So we can say Brian's still right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, we can't. No, we can't. I'm not going with you on that, Doug. I actually saw some uh, from a grower down by Omaha that had had uh, a group 3.0 beans, and they, they started flowering. I think on the 18th, he saw his first flowers. So I know we were ahead of that. And, uh, you know, it's just something that, that you look at this, this time of year. Scouting is a big deal, and I know you're out there a lot. How, how often are you trying to get out in fields? Are you out every single day, or you got certain days that you're doing things? Well, I usually get out in the field and do some walking somewhere about two to three times a week, maybe maybe more some weeks. It's kind of a evening after supper job for me. I need to get a little exercise and a good walk. So why not walk through the field? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, a lot of stuff going on on, on corn. How quick do you think you'll be out there doing that side dress? Is it going to dry out for you in a couple of days? I think we'll get it at toward, I hope this week, toward the end of the week. Um, certainly should get it done this week. Yeah, we got stuff. To, I know Glenn was talking about today getting out in some plots, and he's like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not going to happen for at least a couple of days here. But I guess we'll see. At least it isn't 100-mile-an-hour winds every day. That's a plus. Well, that was what really hindered our progress, you know, on this area of the world, and it covered a big area, of course, but. That 30-mile-an-hour wind for a week was not a 
not a good thing for us. Yeah, you're right. Cause I, we were planning on doing more wide dropping, which would have worked just fine with the rain that we got now to, to get it down in the soil. But, but of course it was blowing so hard. I, Brian put the kibosh to that. Then we went back to doing some Coulter injection just to be able to get out there, but not everybody's got two different setups like that to, to get through it. Well, well, Doug, good luck to you here as you get going with your, your nitrogen and, and other things you're side dressing. And thanks for talking today. Really appreciate it. You bet. Talk to you again. Let's head down to Iowa. We've got Mark Storr with us right now with BASF. Mark, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Pretty good. You know, you probably heard a little bit of the fungicide discussion that that we were having a little bit earlier. We were talking about, all right, we're past V8 on a lot of the stuff in Iowa now, and growers start getting a little bit nervous when, when you hear, okay, there's some restrictions now on, on getting fungicides out there. Is it something they should be really nervous about or or just take your word and say, you know what, let's just go spray the fungicide, just forget about the adjuvant? Well, yeah, it really depends on the uh, on what adjuvant you're using. Uh, certainly, fungicide alone in water, there's absolutely no issues relative to crop safety uh, with any of the BSF products like Headline Amp or, or Veltima or Revitec, Prax, or the whole uh, the whole group of them. Uh, as far as making applications prior to tassel, generally you're looking at ground applications, so you're looking at a higher water volume. And uh, the surfactants uh, that are in the products themselves as they're formulated uh, gives you good, uh, good activity and good plant uptake. So the adjuvants, they're always helpful for helping spread the material and getting good uptake or improving uptake under less than ideal conditions. But I would say that uh, ground applications generally are less forgiving which is normally what you're going to see if a guy's making an application uh, this early in the year. He's probably using ground equipment. All right, Mark, talk to us a little bit about Veltima. I know you got a chance to get that out on some extremely high-yielding corn farms across the country. Guys like Dave Hula and Randy Dowdy got a chance to, to try things out in, in extreme environments for you. I think that's a great idea to put it in those places to see what it could really do to push. And, of course, you got it in a lot of 200- and 300-bushel environments as well. What did you learn about Veltima? Well, last year, again, results are always going to be variable. But, you know, we've got a couple of plots that I work with at the research farm. One, we inoculated with disease, so we were trying to get some additional disease pressure. And uh, we had a good uh, take on our northern corn leaf blight inoculant, very poor take on the gray leaf spot, which is very typical of working with diseases. They're tough to get to grow when you want them to. But in that particular plot, Veltima plot, you know, uh, beat all the other treatments in there of all the competitors. And we had a, an average uh, return, I think, of around 25 bushel per acre in that plot. And then down the road, same hybrid, just a natural inoculum. So no particularly uh, significant disease pressure. We still got about a 15 bushel an acre yield increase. And these results are, are pretty common uh, throughout the Corn Belt. You know, that uh, I'd say mostly an average of 8 to 12 uh, to 15 bushel in a non-disease environment. Uh, and then really it's, you know, ridiculous uh, what we can do under high disease pressure. When you take a disease that wipes, it wipes you out, meaning taking 240 bushel corn down to 120, 
you know, that's that's roughly half of your yield, 100 bushel yield uh, decrease because of the disease in a bad area of the field. Well, in those cases, we're able to increase your yield by that much by preventing that disease. So it's, it's something that every year is different uh, when it comes to disease. We may see a disease pop up this year that we're, you know, we've not seen before or not uh, one that, you know, generally creates problems for us. It seems that everything is individually. Northern or uh, yeah, northern corn leaf blight was bad in 2015 here in Iowa. You know, back in 2012, it was uh, uh, you know eye spot, and then gray leaf spot is uh, common in eastern Iowa and a lot of the corn belt almost on an annual basis. So yeah, it changes it every year. You're absolutely right, and and one that we were talking about even today, we got brought up is tar spot, and it's going to be fun to see how some of these new products like a Veltima do in those environments. Uh, talking with Mark Storr here with BASF. Mark, thank you so much for being on. We really appreciate it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic fungicides from Atticus LLC. Fungal diseases can be devastating, but Acadia, Slant, and Talaris 4.5F from Atticus deliver lasting, broad-spectrum fungi control so your soybeans, sugar beets, and dry beans can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Pentair Hypro 3D nozzles are your premier choice for fungicide applications. Syngenta fungicide application field trials have shown Hypro 3D nozzles provide a yield advantage of up to 10% over other nozzles, maximizing the return on your fungicide investment. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. How much money are you leaving in the bin? Get your grain in ideal condition with the Grain Temp Guard Monitoring System from FarmShop MFG. And with deep preseason discounts on all Grain Temp Guard units, now is the best time to upgrade. Order today at farmshopmfg.com. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. Agroliquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. 
If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health, resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high-yield toolbox. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today talking about influencing yield right now in corn. Here are my top five things, Darren. So number one, nitrogen. And I mean, really, it could be numbers one, two, and three if you want. Nitrogen is ridiculously important. You can't run short. Now, here's the challenge with the nitrogen thing. Number one, you don't know exactly what your yield goal is. I mean, you know what your yield goal is, but I should rephrase that and say you don't know exactly what your yield is going to be or what it could potentially be, so it's hard. Here's the other thing, variability in a field. So we will for sure, well, I shouldn't say for sure, we almost for sure will have spots of 300 bushel corn again out in our field. I don't expect we're going to have a full field average of 300. It'd be great if we did, but we'll have spots of over 300. Okay, We'll also have spots in the same field of 200, 225, you know, on the low end. So how do you do that? I mean, how do you put enough nitrogen out for the 300 bushel spots and don't put so much on for the 200 bushel spots that you have loss? That's the challenge. So I would just say this. We're big believers in do a little bit of testing, do some soil tests. You can use some of these other programs that are out there, Climate and Circa, Farmer's Edge, I mean, they all, uh, a lot of them have nitrogen predictors. They're helpful, but here again, it kind of comes back to what's your yield target? If you plug in, oh, mine is 300, it's going to give you a, a different recommendation than if you plug in, well, I'm only shooting for 200 bushel corn. So in other words, it doesn't really fully answer the question. You still have a contribution into that question. And it's hard. I don't know exactly what to tell you, but all I know is you can't run short on nitrogen or you will not get the yield goal you're hoping for. So number one is nitrogen. Number two, it's every other nutrient. Sulfur, boron, possibly potassium, but I say sulfur and boron first. We've already talked about this because they're leachable. So it's very likely that every single year you plant corn, you need to get some sulfur and boron back out there. Now, the reason why I say potassium is for some people who have light soil and irrigation, then it's a good idea to be putting some potassium out in season. If you have heavy soil and no irrigation, I would tell you, if you put potassium out, it's, there's nothing bad with that. It's just you're probably not going to get the gain out of it until next year. So why go through all the work of putting potassium out now and not seeing a benefit yet this year? And again, heavy cold, uh, those types of soils, that's where we are most concerned about, hey, you put potassium out, and especially if you don't get like lots of rain, you're just not going to get a lot of potassium into that plant. Now, if you want to foliar feed just a tiny little bit over the top of the crop, that's fine. That's a different story, okay? But what I'm talking about is big rates of potassium on the ground, just like you would do with nitrogen. And I mean, quite frankly, you could foliar feed many different nutrients. But like I said earlier in the show, a foliar thing is just a Band-Aid. That's going to help you for a week, maybe two. 
So if you're chronically short on A nutrient, you better start working on the soil stuff or doing something at planting time to get that addressed because the foliar is never going to get you there if you're only going to do one application a year. Now, if you're going to do multiple, that's fine, but then that just adds to the cost unless you have some easy way like pumping it through an irrigation system to get that out there without all the application cost. Okay, number three, fungicide. I'm a huge believer in fungicide, in corn, soybeans, and wheat, and just about every crop, quite frankly. But understand this. Fungicides don't cure diseases very well at all. They are preventative. So it's kind of like a vaccine. If you think about that, you get a vaccine so you don't get the disease. If you get a disease, many diseases, there are treatment methods and you can cure the disease. It doesn't work that way in crops. We don't have treatment methods to cure diseases in crops. We only have, I'll call it the vaccine, but what, what I mean by that is use a fungicide before disease sets in. So if nothing else, like for us, I'm always going to treat our best fields for corn and soybeans for sure. And then it comes down to the weather. Now, you can say, well, certain varieties are more tolerant than others. I agree with that. But the problem is we have brand new varieties every year and they haven't been they haven't been around for 10 years to see it in the worst year and in the best year on diseases. Well, we just we have an idea, but we don't know like we used to know. I just remember on our own farm, we'd put stuff in plots for 3 years before we'd plant it on big acres when I was a kid. <laughs> well, in 3 years that variety's dead and it's been replaced with something that's better. So how are you going to know if you're super tolerant or not? To disease. And here's the other thing. Fungicide prices have crashed. So you can get fungicides really inexpensively now compared to what you used to be able to. So I would just encourage you at least try some fungicide every year. At least try some and monitor it all the way through. That's what we've done for years and years. And that's how we're to the point now where we're spraying corn every single year early. So by early, I mean we'll spray in the V6 to V9 kind of timing. Now, when you start getting V8, V9, you can't use an adjuvant with it, and that's fine. I don't care. But we want to make sure, if we can, we like to protect the ear leaf. And by spraying around that V7, V, especially V8, V9, ear leaf should be out. We can hopefully protect that. And that, in our region, in the Western Corn Belt, seems to pay just about every year. What doesn't always pay is the tassel application in our region. So in our region, I just advise guys, hey, if you get a super wet year like 2018 or 2019, then absolutely spray a second time. Spray at full tassel or R1 silking. Spray then and you'll probably get good results just like a lot of the guys in Iowa, Illinois, Indiana do every single year because they have gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, southern rust, a bunch of these really tough diseases that we don't typically have as much of in the western corn belt. Okay, number four, insecticide, pretty easy. You scout your field, see any bugs, you spray. If you don't see any bugs, you don't have to throw insecticide in. That one's simple. And then five, this is the newer category, biologicals, or as we often call them, naturals. I would absolutely encourage you to try some of those things. At this point, I don't have anything that I can tell you, oh, late in the season, you know, do a whole bunch of this, and it's for sure going to pay in all situations. I don't know of anything like that, but I do know there are a lot of products out there at least worth trying, experiment with on your farm, and see if you get results. If you, if you start getting a lot of results, obviously do a lot more of that in the future. All right, so there are my five things. Nitrogen, all other nutrients, fungicide, insecticide, and then finally, either biologicals or naturals. All right, Darren, you ready to jump back into mailbag questions? All right, sounds good. 
uh, got a couple of herbicide ones. I don't know if you want to take these separate. You got one from Jim in Ohio. Probably I do, but go ahead. All right, Jim in Ohio. <laughs> Let's do that. Jim in Ohio has got the first one. He said, I got a question about Flexstar. Why can it only be applied in alternate years? What harm can come from annual applications, even if I have back-to-back soybeans? Carryover. It just comes back to carryover. The reason why they don't want you using Flexstar in back-to-back years is then it's going to start, there's more of a chance for it to start to build up. So yeah, you go beans on beans, but eventually you're going to go to a, a, a crop most likely that the Flexstar is not going to be tolerant to. So you can go back-to-back Flexstar if you want to stay with beans for a third year. So that's the reason why. It's all due to carryover. Well, I mean, think about that. Look at the conditions that we've had for herbicide breakdown in soils. And that's something that's been a little bit tricky here with the last couple of years. You look at, in in many areas, 2018 was a, was a goofy uh, growing season. 2019, certainly we had cooler year, a lot of clouds, a lot of rainfall, that kind of thing. Okay, let me, let me, let me talk more then about how do herbicides break down. So the easiest way to get your herbicides to break down is just have a lot of weeds. So if you're farming some new ground that's loaded up with weeds, the odds are slim that you're going to have a big carryover issue. If it's like the weediest field you've ever seen in your life, that product's going to get used up, okay? Beyond that, what we talk about all the time is bacteria in the soil will break down herbicides. Now, yes, there are a few products that will leach away, like old atrazine. So guys will say, well, we had more rain, so I should have less of that herbicide. Look, if something leaches that easily, EPA is not approving that kind of stuff anymore. So, I mean, the thing with atrazine If you look at the LD50, it's as safe as table salt. Now, I'm not suggesting you go sprinkle that on your steak tonight or anything, but what I am saying is it's not like it's the most dangerous product in the world, but nevertheless, I hate the leachability of atrazine, which is why we talk about not using it in the soil or on the soil. We talk about using it only post-emerge. But anyway, it takes bacteria to break down a lot of these herbicides, especially the modern ones. So for Flexstar, we got to have bacterial activity. Well, when do you have the most bacterial activity? When you have the pH right, so we're talking usually in the sixes. When you have great drainage, so there's lots of air in the soil, and heat. So those are the things we're really after, right? pH, uh, heat, and great drainage. So if you have all those, you're going to have less chance for herbicide carryover. I'll get back to more of your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag coming up right after this. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Oh my goodness, did you see Bob's gorgeous soybean rows? Um, totally. I couldn't believe how clean and weed-free his entire field looked. I'm like, so jealous. I heard he started using this new post-applied residual herbicide called Perpetuo, and it's burned down and long-lasting residual powers making his soybeans like literally the talk of the town. Ah, so Perpetuo's his secret. Yep. Talk to your retailer or visit valent.com slash Perpetuo to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Hey, Adam. New drone? Not just any drone. I mounted a laser on it to take out weeds. Look out for that tree. In the power lines! Oh, it's in for the house. 
There's a simpler way to protect spring wheat from weeds. Perfect Match Herbicide. The broadest spectrum weed and grass control in one product. Learn more at perfectmatchherbicide.com. Always read and follow label directions. The Laser. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation. How you make out for the season. Or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Stop losing money from your stored grain with the Enzone fan control system from FarmShop MFG. Hot spots and moisture in your bin can cost you thousands in lost revenue. The Enzone monitors outside conditions to run your fans exactly when you want them to, naturally bringing your grain to ideal temperature and humidity. Master bin management with the Enzone. For more information, visit farmshopmfg.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We are right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Got an email from Anonymous in Illinois, Brian. He said, this week we realized we had some devastating injury from peak herbicide, and we were advised to tear it up and replant. We've been using it for several years, haven't seen or heard of any problems uh, sprayed it timely, and I know a few neighbors have got the issue as well. Everything was done according to the label and advice from our reps. All right, look, I, and I know this is going to upset some companies when I say stuff like this, so I apologize, Syngenta, for it seeming like we're picking on you. We're not. We would have I mean, preferred a different Syngenta product like Callisto get used sure, in this situation. Sure, there are lots of other great Syngenta products that we would recommend. We just don't recommend Peak for multiple reasons. Reason number one is carryover. So let's, forgetting, uh, setting the corn issue aside, um, that peak can last in the soil for a crazy long time. Now, Darren and I were talking about this during the break because I said, you know, the, this herbicide injury, and so we'll talk about point number two, um, why did we have this herbicide injury? I said it, it's very common with ALS herbicides in cold, wet springs that we see issues. I don't care if we're talking peak or python or whatever. And Darren goes, well, technically, I mean, it's a sulfonylurea. Yes, I realize that. It's just in that ALS chemical family group too. So we worry about some of these products. And I've got the carryover issue number one. I've got the possible crop injury issue number two. And we just we just don't like that product. But again, 
it's not like we're singling out Syngenta or anything else. I can give you products that I don't like from Bayer, from BSF, from FMC, from everybody. Not that they are, and I should, they're not bad. It's that they don't fit in the situation that we're talking about. So with corn, I don't recommend peak. I don't care who you are, where you plant it, when you plant it. I'm not going to recommend peak. I just don't do it. So we've got other options out there that we feel are safer on the corn, have less carryover, and are better for a lot of the weeds that we're after. One of our biggest concerns anymore with using anything with that group 2 chemistry or group 2 chemical family is what are your target weeds, number one? And number two, are they already resistant to that chemical family? So when I start thinking Illinois, the first weeds I think of are water hemp. There's some Palmer pigweed now. I think mare's tail. Um, even let's just say it's ragweed or, uh, I mean, there are a number of weeds that are more and more tolerant to these ALS herbicides all the time. So yeah, I, I, I mean, I'll say this too, for any farmer out there, if you want our advice and our recommendations on stuff, just email us or, or call us here. We're more than happy to talk to you about that. But I, I will say the most important thing for us is crop safety. The second most important thing for us is next year's crop safety. So I'm going to care more about those things than I am economics or the weed control today. Yes, we have to have good economics and the weed control, but if I do anything that, that could possibly hurt my corn this year or hurt whatever crop I'm going to raise next year, then that to me is off the table. I just I write it off. I'm, I'm not going to use it if I'm worried about those two things. All right. Thanks for the for the question. We appreciate that. I got one from Andy up in Ontario, and he said, I'm looking at a couple different ways to get boron on, was one of your opinions. I've got some farms that are only at a half a part per million and some that are at 1.2 parts per million, and yep. I know that we need to be higher. So I put two pounds down with my pre per acre of boron and another half a pound with my starter in a two-by-two. Here are my options for putting on more boron. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to stop you right there, Andy. That might be enough already. You might you might be good for this year. As people are listening to this, they're like, is this guy insane? How is his crop not dead already? Okay. Now, if you do want to put some more on, he said he's got a few different ideas. Okay. One, he's going to put some 28% nitrogen on with Y-drops. Yep. So he could throw a little boron yep. on there. Yes, he can. Uh, he could apply some with his fungicide at tasseling time with an undercover system. Yes, he can. Or he could apply with the fungicide even earlier, like at V10 to V14. Yep, sure could. So his questions are, at Y drop, any concerns with putting on as much as another two pounds per acre? Yes. Uh, at tasseling time, any concerns with the boron getting on the silk? Uh, and any limits on how much you could put on that way? And at V10 to V14, how much could he put on with a fungicide broadcast over the top? <laughs> oh, he said, one last complicating factor. My water pH is 7.7. .7. Would you use fulvic acid to try to improve foliar uptake, or is that going to heat things up too much, especially pre-tassel? Okay, that's a lot of questions and a lot of stuff. And we're focused really heavily on one nutrient. And if that's the nutrient that you're short on, then I understand wanting to get more out there. Let's talk first about boron toxicity, though. A lot of the people that we talk to about boron get really worried about it because it can be toxic. But let's face it, every nutrient can be toxic. If you overdo it on nitrogen, on sulfur, on, on zinc, on copper, on anything, 
it can be toxic to your crop. So we have to worry about that at least a little bit. How you safen boron in the soil is heavier soil, lots of calcium. So if you have light soil and low calcium, well, now you are much more risk. But the flip side is if you have light soil and low calcium, it's pretty easy to get boron into the plant through the soil. So you only need to put a little bit out there, and the odds are it's going to get into your crop. Um, if you've already put out two and a half pounds, that that that's a lot. Now, let me first say your two pounds broadcast, fine, especially if you've got high calcium and heavy soil. Your half pound in the two by two, I am concerned about that. If, let's say right now, you went out and dug around and you found where your 2x2 two two was and you look at the roots right in that spot and see if they got burned off, that's my concern. That is a tremendously high concentration in a very small area. Now, it might have worked out this year, but a half pound in a 2x2, two two, to me, that sounds like a lot. And maybe it's okay, but I would worry about that way more than your 2 pounds in your broadcast. To go out in a Y drop with two pounds is not that bad because your corn now is getting pretty big and you're, it's going to take rain to get it in. So it's not all going to go in in one shot. You're, you'd probably be okay with that if you had heavy soil, lots of calcium. But if you do that, you're talking four and a half pounds that you've put out there now this year. So it's a lot. I, I mean, whenever we're talking about, and I, I was, just right before this, we were talking about crop safety with herbicides. It's the same thing with fertilizer. The last thing you want to do is spend money on something and then it hurts your crop. So while I don't know your soils, I don't have your soil tests, I don't have any of that stuff. Let me just give you the general guideline. I would say if you start pushing it on something and it's way different than your normal plan you usually use, don't do it on very many acres. If you want to do it, like for us, we farm over 3,000 acres. If we're going to do something on 20 acres, 40 acres, 60 acres, and I happen to kill that, it's not going to break us. Okay, Now, I don't want to kill it, but I'm just saying try stuff on a small scale before you get too carried away. Can you put a little bit of boron on at uh, silking was your question. Yes, you can use a little bit. Just keep that rate relatively low. For me, I'd probably be using a quart or less. There are some people who use all the way up to a gallon. I'm not very comfortable with that. I'd put it with a lot of water and try to safen it up, but I just don't like burning the crop. Same thing at V10, V14. A quart is probably fine with quite a bit of water, you know, at least 10 gallons, but you start going up, up to a gallon, it's just, it's riskier. And you put anything with it, and yes, that will heat it up a little more. So if it was me and foliar feeding, I might try a quart. If I'm going to do these higher rates, I'd try that on just a little bit. And yeah, I probably would be trying it with some fulvic acid. All right. Quick question came in from Dave. Uh, he said, I'm a truck driver listening to your radio show and have been for a long time. I am moving a lot of liquid 28% nitrogen right now. Some of it's blended with ammonium thiosulfate and humic acid. Yep. Just wondering what humic is and will it change the pH in the soil? Uh, the low rate that you're using for humic acid, no, that's not going to change the rate in the soil. Um, it's... It, it, if you think about what organic matter is, humus is a part of that, and the humic acid is a part of that. So, it, And then inside of that is fulvic acid. So we talk fulvic acid with some of these foliar things, humic more in the soil. 
but there's such there, I'm sure there's going to be such a tiny amount it's not going to make that much difference for changing pH yeah but part of the reason they're throwing the ammonium thiosulfate in there is the sulfur the other thing is to try to help bind with that nitrogen so it doesn't get lost humix same way that nitrogen will bind to that humic and help it help protect it from loss out in the field. Hey, thanks for the feedback, Dave. It's good to hear uh, fertilizers getting out there. There's a lot of corn is growing fast. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.